0: Hello families and welcome to the Monica Klein Show and I'm really excited to have you guys here today. I hope your Thanksgiving uh, was wonderful. Uh, Hopefully you're not still in your food coma hibernating at home. Uh, Maybe you're nice and active today. I am uh, and I had a nice hibernation over the weekend. Had a great time Um, but you know we are back in business and so it's time to talk about family and it's talk time to talk about ways that we can protect family. And as y'all know, um, I speak on comprehensive sex education quite a bit. I sound the alarm on comprehensive sex education, and I'm in the business of trying to help parents to strengthen them and equip them so that they are the leading voice in their in their children's lives regarding sex and marriage and their identity. Um, and really just leading the, the conversation with your own families about God's design for family and God's design for humanity. Uh, you know, we all need a standard. And that is the standard that it takes a family and the Monica Klein show uh, work from is that there is an absolute truth. And, and I'm committed to that. So but, you know, today I really want to talk about something that is not necessarily new, but probably is new to you. Um, and, and I've been fascinated by this topic. It's called social emotional learning. And from my understanding, uh, and my guest who is going to be with joining us in just a, a minute or two, Mary Siegler, from she is the founder and director of Massachusetts Informed Parents. Uh, and you can find uh, Massachusetts Informed Parents on Facebook. And then she can let us know if there's other places that you can find uh, her information. But they're also an organization that is sounding the alarm on comprehensive sex education and helping parents understand what is going on. Uh, For Mary, very specifically, it's what is going on with comprehensive sex education in Massachusetts. And I've been following her for, probably over a year now, and have really found myself feeling like she is a friend, even a sister, because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, yeah, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking, and and to see what's happening in her state, um, I really respect her work, so I wanted to have her on here, and one of the things that Mary's been speaking on recently, or sounding the alarm on as well, is social-emotional learning, and from my understanding, social-emotional learning is a tool, almost like a counseling tool, um, but we'll, we'll really kind of dive into that a little bit more in this show. And I believe it's found in pretty much every public school in the country. Uh, And it's pretty popular. And so I wouldn't be surprised that you might find the social emotional learning. um, I don't know if I should call it a tool or uh, anyway, I'm noticing that other organizations are using using them to even private organizations. So we're going to start diving into what that is, how it's affecting children, and then how does it affect the family? How does it affect character? How does it affect the way uh, we make decisions about our lives and relationships, and the risky behavior that we engage in? Uh, So it's, um, it's really something that I'm concerned about because it's really changing the way children think about risky behavior or even morality. And uh, and it's really disguised in a lot of positive language. And so what happens is that When a bit of truth is twisted, it's very difficult to discern if this is something that's good or something that may be harmful. And so in today's show, I want to talk a little bit more about social emotional learning with uh, Mary Siegler to kind of talk to to, to really begin to not only define it, but to break it apart a little bit so that we can see how it's impacting our families and how it is being used by comprehensive sex education advocates in their uh, sex education and why they're using it, and so uh, the really the goal here is that mom and dad, I want you to start to not only understand what this is, but to then have eyes to see and be able to discern when you see social emotional learning being used with your children uh, in everyday life at school, uh, and then as well as in comprehensive sex education. So I want to introduce my good friend, Mary Siegler from, again, Massachusetts Informed Parents. Uh, We have not met face to face, but I, I look forward to the day that I can actually give her a hug because I feel like we have just been uh, working together for a long time through uh, through technology, really. So I see her face uh, and I hear her voice and I read her posts, but I have yet to meet her face to face, and I, I really hope to do that one day soon. So, Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you for being with us. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving?
1: It was great. It was wonderful to just have the time to kind of kick back with family and to enjoy um, good food and fun. So. Um, As you can, I'm sure you can relate. Sometimes the work that we do can get intense and exhausting at times. So I'm always appreciative of time to come away and refresh and re-energize with family.
0: Yes, I am in agreement with that. It It was actually very difficult for me to let go of some of the issues and concerns that I had in Texas to then enjoy Thanksgiving. But I made that commitment and I'm glad that I did because man, my family and I had a great time so much so uh, that all the different generations that were at our family gathering actually said can we do this once a month i mean it just felt good to be with family um, and to be of one mind with one another and it, it, yeah it was it was awesome so i'm glad you had a great thanksgiving and, uh, and of course now we're m- the monday after thanksgiving and yeah. you and i are re engaging Re-engaging, <laughs> Re-engaging. <Yeah. laughs> which is what we love we love it yeah yeah um, so about a month or so ago actually probably even a few months ago you and i talked a little bit about social emotional learning Um, And I want to mention that this is something I talk about with Massachusetts quite a bit. When I mention Massachusetts, I learned through Mary Siegler that comprehensive sex education not only is being taught there, but I think one of the other things that really shocked me about Massachusetts is that they they very... it wasn't a bad thing, but I think parents were, were happy to see that Massachusetts, at least some, some of the schools and Mary can tell us more had school-based health clinics. And, and parents seem to be really happy about that. Excuse me, because it meant that, you know, if your child needed a quick appointment with their doctor for any reason, there was a school-based health clinic, literally a health clinic within the public school. And so this is great because parents are thinking, oh, well, I don't have to take off from work. You know, this is all pre-COVID, of course. uh, And all of it was there. And so families got really used to the, the, the thought that there was a health clinic there. And then all of a sudden, the rug got pulled underneath parents because the school decided to insert not only comprehensive sex education, but to then insert Uh, doctors who were able to prescribe birth control to the kids, give out condoms. um, And and Mary can tell us a little more about what those school-based health clinics are doing. And, and, And of course, along with Mary, getting the parents and protesting this, and unfortunately, the parents lost. And so now all of this is in the school. And then in addition to that, the discovery that social-emotional learning was being used not only in the school, but in comprehensive sex education to groom children for sexual activity in childhood. And so Mary and I have been talking about that for quite a bit, um, trying to understand it. So Mary, can you tell us more about social-emotional learning and, and, and maybe how that's affecting even the school-based health clinic that you have in your schools?
1: Sure. So, Monica, I just wanted to say thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I just feel the same about you. Um, I every time I listen to one of your podcasts or read things that you've posted on your website, I just know that we're kindred spirits. So I just appreciate the work that you're doing, and thank you for having me. So thank social you, emotion. So social emotional learning. Um, you know, it's really this kind of innocuous thing. It's really kind of hard to wrap your um, your head around it because um, what it, it it's it's really hard to nail down. And it's it's even more difficult to explain to parents so that they can really understand what's happening. But so in a nutshell, social emotional learning really is meant to psychologically prepare students to accept new cultural norms. It undermines religious and traditional moral beliefs. Um, It produces unthinking citizens and students who are more led by their emotions. So it's really about being emotionally driven. It's really about creating more groupthink Um, It's really um, about turning emotional behavior into some kind of standard that needs to be taught and implemented across the board. Um, So there's just there's so many ways that social emotional learning works itself out, not only through curriculum, but just through a school culture. Um, And even we can see it working itself out in the public square, even, Um, you know, a a lot of the work that I do is focused on public schools, K through 12. But now that I have a son who's in college, I'm seeing it really worked out there as well. Um, I see it utilized even in the evening news. So I'm just seeing it more and more. Um, it's kind of like once you start to become aware of something and what's behind certain messages or initiatives, it becomes more and more plain.
0: Yeah, it's amazing that it's normal that that a human would be initially uh, engaged with emotion. You know, I mean, we our heart goes out to Uh, children who've been harmed, our heart goes out to animals who have been harmed, you know, there's all these things. And so what I'm noticing with SEL is that they're using those natural emotions that we have. But then they, they, they utilize them. And, and even uh, basically, I guess it looks like, Mary, are they using these emotions to drive people to make decisions, rather than thinking logically? Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah. So really what it's doing is it's teaching students that what makes themselves or others feel good, that that's the highest value. So um, and it really seeks to modify students' values and their beliefs and their behaviors. Um, So it, it replaces right and wrong with pop psychological initiatives um, and it really moves students away from academic education. It places an emphasis on unhealthy attitudes and mindsets. So it's it's just, it's very dangerous. It's very, um, it's difficult to identify because here's how it will present itself. So you, you might get material coming home from school that will reference the word social and emotional learning. Um, but uh, along with that, you'll see phrases like teaching our students resilience or teaching them grit, how to you know um, handle challenges, um, how to be empathetic, how to be compassionate. These are all values that we probably most of us share and that most of us would think, well, what's wrong with teaching a child? grit or or how to um, walk through a challenge or what's wrong with teaching a child how to be compassionate or empathetic. Um, So, you know, these are all things that as parents, we want to teach our children. But what's happening is that these things are being used to and this is one of the key points. It's these things are being used to actually separate children from their parents because what ends up happening is so as a teacher is incorporating social emotional learning into a lesson, it could be incorporated into a history lesson. It can be incorporated into an English lesson. Um, You know, I'm seeing it really utilized in comprehensive sexuality education, but it's it's being used all over the place. But um, so what happens is there can be this, you know, you're the The teacher will talk in a very broad sense to the students about these admirable qualities, um, compassion, empathy, kindness, understanding and And then um, they'll ask the students questions, you know how how would you show empathy or kindness to a person who, say identifies as transgender or who is um who identifies you know on the lgbt spectrum somewhere so it's like they define they get the kids to buy in to the actual quality first the character quality so kindness empathy understanding um and then they'll start so they they get that buy-in And they'll ask the students how they define these things. And then they'll ask the students how their parents might define these things. Mm -hmm. And then they ask, and then they ask, well, so how would this, and then they, then in comes the application. So, so how would you apply this then to, you know, LGBT issues? Um, or, I mean, I'm just using that as one example. It can be any social issue really. And so then, um, Then there's this question, how might you differ from what your parents think about this issue? So they're planting Mm -hmm. little seeds of separation uh, between and separating the child from the values, from uh, the morals and the worldview that their parents have taught them. It's very, very subtle, but it's very, very deliberate so parents will say will say to me i just don't understand why my child is you know beginning to think in these terms we've not taught them this way at home it's because and and, you know and i hate to say it but our educational system unfortunately has become emotionally spiritually and psychologically unsafe for our students So, and and it's just, it's all out warfare, really. And a child who is still developing, their brain is still developing. They do not have the mental, emotional maturity to navigate, to recognize these things or to even divide any of these things. And so, um, and those who are, are using these tools of psychological manipulation, they understand this and they know this. So, um, there's really so much that can be said about it, Monica. Um, uh, But that's, that's just kind of an introduction to, to what's happening um, and to.
0: Yeah, those are great examples. I think that that made it very clear to, to, I wanted an example and that was a perfect example of how comprehensive sexuality education, or even just the school as a whole uh, could be teaching these new, um beliefs in in a way that is so subtle um it, it reminds me of you know really in Genesis how it, it was just a real uh manipulation of words that that led to a a, a poor decision um to a sinful decision and the truth is is that, What I'm noticing what you said, you know, when they say, how, how would you, um, the question posed to children is how, how would you show compassion towards a child or a peer who is, is, you know, identifies as being transgender? God actually has an answer for that, you know, and, and that compassion the definition of compassion for social emotional learning is very different than the definition that God has. And so, uh, you know, what we're seeing is that people or that social emotional learning or any of these ideologies are redefining those terms because for social emotional learning or for the LGBTQ movement or the transgender movement, they want complete submission and activism. They don't want uh, for you to tolerate uh, and to have compassion as god has compassion what they want is for you to become an activist for those movements for you to encourage your children to become part of those movements or to question their gender or to question their sexuality to them compassion means full submission to their philosophy or their ideology and but as families we have answers um you know I, i'm not leaving out families who, who don't believe in, in God whatsoever. I mean, you have your own set of values, I'm sure. But in this case, if, if we're going to be talking about, or for me as a Christian, God has already defined one he's created, but he has defined humanity. He has defined male and female. He has defined marriage. He has defined family and he's defined identity. Um, and compassion for me, Mary, you know, where I come from. I, I was a former comprehensive sexuality educator. Mm -hmm. I was someone who was part of that culture for over 10 years and really even more because, you know, I didn't come to Christ until I was 26 years old. Um, and I still have great compassion. The same compassion I had back then is the same compassion I have today, but today, As Christians and for myself as a Christian, that compassion comes with helping people to not stay in the situation that is harming them, but to bring them out of that situation so that they're no longer in harm's way. So the compassion, um, compassion led without truth can can lead people down destructive paths. But compassion with truth can help people have an abundant life and find health and find spiritual health and find physical health as well. It's not about uh, harming someone or, or beating someone over the head with, with an ideology, but this is very, I mean, you bring up a good point that social emotional learning is creating once again, a wedge between parents and their children. Um, It is defining morality. It is giving, you know, uh, using, psychological kind of techniques to groom a child into believing that this is the the right way. Uh, They're even going as far as saying your parents think differently and it's okay for you to think differently from your parents. Um, And, and the truth is, is that in Christianity we have free will and we all know that our children are going to question for themselves. And that is good that they can question for themselves. Now it's a very different process for someone to begin to get to an age where they start questioning and asking questions, uh, that's very different than grooming a child against their family or grooming a child um, with psychological techniques. That, that's very, that's <laughs> very different. Um, but how are you, Mary, how are you seeing social emotional learning being used in comprehensive sexuality education?
1: So, with comprehensive sexuality education, there um, there is this idea, really the philosophy that's behind, um, and I'm just going to say CSE for short. Um, what's behind CSE, CSE is the philosophy that children have sexual rights, the right to sexual pleasure. So, um, and this, of course, is all driven, also by emotions and by feelings and what feels good if you remember i said that feeling good is one of the highest values that is proposed um in sel education and so you can kind of see how that comes over into cse Um, this idea that what feels good, you have a right to pleasure. You have a right to feel good. And that becomes the highest goal. So if that becomes the highest goal, then you just need to learn how to try to do that as safely as you can. But nobody can take away your sexual rights. And to say that Um, you know, the best way to maintain sexual health and emotional mental health is to delay sexual debut. Um, that's, That's just infringing upon somebody's rights. So it's this idea of right. And it's this idea of what feels good. And so this is really what is becoming the highest value. It's not what is the healthiest for young people. Which, you know, there's a lot of research that backs up that it's much better for a young person to delay sexual debut. Um, You know, of course, I believe that a child should wait until they are married. Um, But even if you don't believe that, there's empirical evidence that really does illustrate that students do better when they delay sexual activity until adulthood so um so this is how i'm seeing it kind of connected to sel but not only with actual s- sexual activity but then there's also um you mentioned i think you mentioned Seekus. did you mention Seekus in the beginning how they um sex that their model Seekus is the um sexuality um education information council of the united states and so they Uh, promote, they're one of the largest promoters of CSE. And they work very closely with groups like Planned Parenthood and Advocates for Youth and others. And their whole model is sex ed for social change. So we're kind of seeing things kind of all fit together. You've got SEL um, being inserted into um, CSE. And it's really, they're not even hiding their agenda now. They're trying to bring social change. And so that's what CSD is doing, not only with promoting sexual um, promiscuity among young people, but then also teaching ideologies, um, sexual orientation and gender ideologies that may conflict with a lot of families deeply held personal views on these issues. So Um, you know, and even and I have pointed it out before, Monica, when I have stood up at various different meetings and school districts and tried to advocate for, you know, healthy sex education. I I have said that we, of course, have to teach our students how to be compassionate and how to treat everyone with kindness and fairness and dignity, even if we don't agree with their ideas about sexuality and gender but it does not require our students to be indoctrinated into these ideologies in order to know or to learn how to be um, kind to other people that they may not share the same views with. So, um, so this is how it's kind of all working working together. It really is just um, become psychological warfare, the way that I see it. And so, what's happening in elementary school is that. Um, SEL. So, you know, some of the really graphic content that's contained in CSC, a lot of school districts they understand will never get this implemented in the elementary grades because parents will just, they'll see it and they'll just react. But they know that if they can insert SEL, that SEL throughout the elementary years will psychologically prime and prepare the students when they are young so that when they do enter fifth, sixth grade, seventh, eighth grade, which is where I'm seeing puberty education and sex education um, happening in the schools, they know that by that point, they've already psychologically primed them to accept what's going to be inserted or taught through CSE.
0: That's right. And that, that is a great point. I love how you made that connection that, uh, you know, the truth is, is that SICUS and, and all of the CSC advocates, um, they, they are patient. (laughs) They're bold. They're much more bold now. They're not trying to hide back when I was a comprehensive sex educator, we hid it quite a bit. It was very hidden, Um, We talked about behaviors rather than identities so that no one would, uh, so there wouldn't be any red flags, uh, but we were still teaching um, promoting alternative uh, sexual behaviors at that time without calling it what, what people are calling it today. Like, you know, whether it's uh, having homosexual sex or whatever it may be. Um, So they're much more bold today. They are not hiding their agenda. So there can't be anyone who can say, well, I didn't know. But then at the same time, you know, this is why we have programs like this, is that, you know, it, it, everyday parents are working and, and doing what they need to do to care for their families. And so they may not know what you and I know because they're not researching it the way we are. So we're here to sound those alarms. But yeah, that's an, it's interesting how the overall agenda is social change. And what does social change really mean? And so what I have seen... Like, for example, even in Austin ISD's um, uh, curriculum that they passed and really what they passed in Austin ISD here in Texas is um, they created their because we had laws that kept Planned Parenthood from having their information in our schools. They got really creative and they created uh, the administration at Austin ISD created their own comprehensive sexuality curriculum. It was a hodgepodge of a bunch of different curriculums and they were all CSE driven and they were all driven by social change. So what is social change? Well, one of many examples in that curriculum is that they had a whole section teaching children that heterosexuality is not normal and that they need to abandon this belief that heterosexuality is normal. Um, And so instead of calling it heterosexuality, they then relabeled it being heteronormative. And so they were going and probably still will be teaching children that there's a concept called heteronormative, which is basically saying that you're being very discriminatory if you believe heterosexuality is the norm in our society. And so they're putting a negative spin on it. And they're basically saying that you must adopt this Alfred Kinsey you know, which we'll do another show on Alfred Kinsey, but this, um, Alfred Kinsey, uh, Oh, Mary, help me with the, the word kind um, like of, um, well, not just the philosophy, but, but the, that you're on a spectrum. You're either heterosexual on oh, yes, yes, and yes. homosexual, mm-hmm. but, uh, and, And so their, their belief is that, that there's a spectrum, you know, that people fall on a spectrum and that heterosexuality isn't normal, but that all of it is normal, which would mean that all sexuality of any kind is normal. And what we're seeing is not only the uh, demonizing heterosexuality and demonizing a nuclear family, which uh, there is so much research that shows again, whether you're Christian or not, but if you just want to be, look, if you just want to look at numbers and research, the the success of any society in this globe is that nuclear family, which means a mother and a father raising their biological children. That is the safest and most Uh, you know, the the best chance of success for children is to be raised by by, by their biological parents who are committed to each other and committed to the family, protecting them, raising them, educating them. And so we know that that is the healthiest uh, way. But social, you know, the social change movement is wanting to redefine humanity, they want to redefine male and female, they want to redefine what is family, Uh, what they want to redefine marriage to their belief system. And so SICUS calling it social change is teaching children in public schools who are very moldable. Um, like Mary, you were saying that they're very pleasure-driven. And so if, they're, if a child is, is taught to be pleasure-driven by the time they're in middle school, they're going to accept a pleasure-driven education regarding uh, sexuality, so comprehensive sexuality. And their concept of family, their concept of relationships, their concept of nuclear family, is completely destroyed. It is now redefined in saying that heterosexuality is not normal, and that if you think it is, then you are practicing something called heteronormative or being, you know, being guilty of being heteronormative. Um, but not just that, um, you know, it's it's redefining the core of what societies are built on, which is family. So it's it's just really um, their strategy is to to mandate this philosophy on a federal level, a state level, and on a local level. And they're being
1: very aggressive about it. it am I right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very aggressive about it. And, you know, one thing, um, Monica, that I would really like to, to point out to parents is that education is never neutral. So mm. it, it always comes, there's always some um, worldview or philosophy in the background. Of everything that's being taught, it's never neutral. So, what uh, you know, uh, proponents of C of SEL of social emotional learning, proponents of of CSE, they claim that they're they're trying to cre- create equity, and they're they're trying to create just a, a you know a level playing field for all students. Um, but but that is not what is actually happening. So they are just um, they are pushing their philosophy of how things are defined and how they are worked out, e- even in, in interpersonal relationships, in the public square, um, in society as a whole. So I, I think it's really important for parents to, to understand that the public schools um, You know, although they say that they try to keep everything neutral, that is not what is happening because education can never be neutral. And so when you're when you're when they are teaching social emotional learning um, to your student and they're teaching your child how to be compassionate, for instance, um, they are teaching from whatever their worldview is. Now, you know, you may get a teacher, depending where you live, that might share some of your worldview. But by and large, what I am seeing is that schools are not staying in their lane. They're not teaching academics, reading, writing, math. They mm-hmm. are um, they're becoming indoctrination centers. And so this is really um Parents have to under, understand this: that, that the 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 dynamics that exist in public education today, and all the ways that those dynamics are working themselves out. It all hides behind language that you may you may not be able to readily identify. Like even with CSE, there I can't tell you how many parents will send me things that they. Receive from their school district when they ask what kind of curriculum is being used to teach sex ed in our school district. And they get back from the school an outline of topics that will list all of these topics that look just fine healthy relationships, negotiation skills, um, you know, all of these things. Well, what does healthy relationships mean? Healthy relationships is where LGBT ideology is going to be inserted. Now, they might include things like how to get out of a violent relationship. So they'll always include some things that we could all agree with. Right. But that is just so that they can also insert all of this other um, ideology. So or, you know, negotiation skills that really is, um, uh, you know, you talked about this on a previous podcast of yours, how um how that's really how to consent to sex with an with an enthusiastic yes so they're teaching minor children how to consent to sex which in the state, most states have laws against sexual activity for minors so they're actually teaching the students how to um participate in unlawful activity but see that is called negotiation skills now would a parent suspect that that's what's happening Behind those words? No. Same thing is happening with SEL. Same thing is happening with CSE and many other things. So um, it's just really important for parents to understand that um, education is, is never neutral. And your child, uh, everything that you're doing with your child at home may very well be um, undone when they go to school, depending on what their teacher's worldview is and how they are teaching any and all of these subjects. that
0: Those are great points. Um, and I, I love, I'm going to use that often now that education is never neutral. And that, and that is absolutely right. Many people seem to think that if it's Run by the government, it's neutral, and that's absolutely not the truth. Um, any character education has its own spin on things. Um, and I believe that character education belongs in the family. Um, so I mean, I, I I don't believe any child should be receiving character education at any public school because it may not, Uh, It's not going to match what the individual families believe. And so you you, we live in America, we have free uh, you know, it's we, the people and in the schools, you're absolutely right. Mary and I've said the same thing that they need to stay in their lane and they need to be teaching academics, not character, not morality. Um, Now, of course, many years ago, when uh, schools were run from a Christian perspective, I think that that was very equitable, but not everyone's going to agree with me on that. But it was very much about uh, respecting people's boundaries as well. Now, there was was a few points that you made that I wanted to expound on a little bit. And and I think it's that fine line is that with It Takes a Family, I've always said that I believe sex education, relationship education, all of that needs to stay in the family, which is why it takes a family exists because I want to equip parents to be able to have those conversations at home. You can learn different facts, different things. If you like it, you use it with your children. If you don't, you have the freedom not to. Um, I want that freedom and that power to be in the hands of parents, not a government, not the state. and so I will go as far as saying that I don't believe sex edu- sex education, which I believe is majority. I know my a good friend that we share, Debbie Simmons, has always said that sex education and the majority of it is actually character education. It's it's not uh, you know all science. It's you know it's it's a small percentage of science and a whole lot of character education. Um, and, and so that's why I believe that that belongs in the hands of parents, not in the public schools. So I'll go as far as saying that I don't believe even sexual risk avoidance belongs in the schools because it may not meet the, ne- the needs or, or the beliefs of many of the families. I don't believe in any kind of sex ed mandate whatsoever. I do believe in an opt in. Uh, where a school can offer sex education. It has the freedom to offer comprehensive sexuality, sexuality education. It has the freedom to offer sexual risk avoidance, uh, but not, not as a default, meaning, meaning they're not going to just teach it automatically. If a parent wants it, they can opt into it. Uh, if you really want comprehensive sex education, you can go to SICUS. You can go to Planned Parenthood. You can go to Advocates for Youth. You don't have to have it in the public school. But these organizations want it in the public school, because it means money for them. And they get to groom a whole generation of children for a future of social change. So, um, so again, I don't believe in any sex ed mandates, whether it's sexual risk avoidance or comprehensive sexuality education, because I believe that the character education belongs to the parents. Now, I do want to touch a little bit on consent, because parents are really confused. It's like, well, of course, you want You know, there's this whole movement to say that consent education, which is teaching people that you're not allowed or children, really, uh, it's teaching children that you are not to engage in a sexual activity do with someone unless they say yes, or give you enthusiastic consent. And the reason I use the word enthusiastic is because that is Planned Parenthood's term for it. So if you Google Planned Parenthood consent education, you're going to see videos, or you're going to also read articles on their webpage that says you, you know, that you should be giving an enthusiastic consent to sex. And, And, you know, and that's their way of they they twist that into this belief system that if we learn how to only have sex with someone who's giving an enthusiastic consent um, or an enthusiastic yes, then then we will end sexual violence, that it's going to stop sexual violence. Um, was, so they're not teaching no. They're not teaching refusal skills because they think that's really negative. And so recently, you know, I I knew that that did not ring true with me, you know, that if you can't teach a young man or a young or a young girl how to say no, um, that that would be a huge problem. We need to be able to say no. No is not negative. No is setting a boundary. It is saying absolutely not. You are not going to do that. You know, Um, it's very, very healthy to teach a child or even an adult how to say no. So I took this question to uh, a woman who who was a victim of human trafficking as a young girl. She's now an adult and is an amazing public speaker. and she also um, you know helps other girls who've come out of sexual human trafficking. And I asked her about consent. And she thought about it and she thought about it and she said, you know what? I when I work with my girls who have come out of sexual human trafficking, I don't teach them consent. I teach them the power of no. Uh, and not only saying no, but to say no without justification. You don't have to justify why you're saying no. You don't have to give a reason, nothing. It is just no. And that other person need and it needs to be a forceful no so that that other person understands you mean it it's a no she's like consent is very confusing and especially for girls who have come out of sexual human trafficking because she said traffickers are masters at getting their victims to say yes to consent and she used the example she said many people think that victims of sexual human trafficking are chained up to a bed somewhere or in a room somewhere And that this is how, you know, and that they're just stuck there and that, and that, you know, atrocities are happening to them. She said, but the truth is, is that a, a trafficker can groom a young girl who's in school and groom her in such a way that she will say yes to being abused. She can go to school. He can tell her that right after school, go down to this address where you're going to have sex with this person and she will do it. Now she's consenting, but not in a positive way, obviously it's, she's being threatened, but she is consenting. And so to give a consent message is very, very dangerous. Uh, And she said, not only children, but even adult women are uh, adults can be very vulnerable to a trafficker who has groomed them and brainwashed them to now give consent to something that is harming them and illegal and and is inhumane. So she agreed that human trafficking organizations and in counseling refusal skills and saying no is the way we stop this, not helping children to consent to having sex. And you made the point as well that children, and like in the state of Texas, it's illegal for children to consent under the age for to sex under the age of seventeen. Mostly because we understand that they are not mature enough or have the ability uh, maturity to be able to consent. But here we see uh, Mary in in California that they're reducing the age of consent to fourteen, yes. Uh, yes. which really is not protecting children, but it's protecting the adults who are wanting to have sex with children.
1: Yes, and um, all of this consent education, I've been saying um, for a long time now that it is actually, um, it's, it's manipulation. It's leaving young students, teens, vulnerable to being manipulated if their abuser uses the right words. So if they use the right words, and even if if you go and watch some of the videos on Planned Parenthood that they use to teach consent, they, they actually provide the students with language that they can use to um, consent to sex. And a lot of the phrases, I, I won't even repeat them here um, on your podcast. You can watch the videos if you go to Planned Parenthood's website. But they're teaching our students to say things that most parents would object to, strongly object to. But see, what happens is, so they, they give them the language to use, so then the students repeat this language and and maybe a a student who um, say is wanting to have sex with another um, minor if they can use this language they can manipulate uh, somebody else to saying yes and then what happens is now this person who maybe when it's all said and done feels like they were taking advantage of or they were victimized now they have the added um Psychological torment of, but I said yes, I agreed to this. So now they have the, so it it really victimizes young people on so many levels. And it's very, very dangerous. And, you know, Planned Parenthood, they have here um, in Massachusetts the Get Real Teen Council program. So students um, ages 15 to 17 can learn how to be sex peer educators. And as I was researching this program here in Massachusetts, I came across a flyer um, that Get Real Teen Council members were um, doing a workshop in a middle school. And they were teaching a class, a workshop on how to consent to sex. So I thought, my word, they have students potentially as young as 15 teaching students in middle school potentially as young as 11 or 12, how to consent to sexual activity. Now, what parent or adult in their right mind thinks that that's a healthy thing for a 15-year-old to be teaching an 11-year-old how to consent to sex? So this whole idea of consent... you know, it's this it's thrown around in the educational world. I hear it thrown around here too by the legislators in Massachusetts who are advocating for a sex ed mandate here. And uh, people just don't understand really how it sets our children up to be victimized. You know, and and you'll hear things like, have you come across the word sex positive? So yes, yes. So this term, because you you mentioned how everything they try to pose everything in positive terms. So the idea of just say no. Well, that's just backward. You're just saying no to to you know a harmful activity. That's um, that's restrictive. That doesn't um, honor people's um, personal autonomy, right? So mm-hmm. everything has to be spoken in positive terms. And so you'll hear this word now, sex positive, that's attached to comprehensive sexuality education or lessons on consent. You'll, you'll see that word. So keep an eye. Whenever you see that word sex positive, you'll you know right away what worldview um, that that sexual education is coming from.
0: Now, Mary, I know you didn't want to say anything too graphic, but you really can. I always say it, and I always let my audience mm-hmm. know I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Um, yeah. I only use those examples so that you people truly understand. But it's yeah. true. You know, when I was a comprehensive sex educator, um, we there is one memory that I have that you know, of course, I, I I regret a lot of that, <laughs> but I'm also glad uh, today that I can I can expose a lot of it. But one of the um, exercises that we did with the kids, which again is a manipulation, is to help them. What you were saying is to give them language and help them practice that language. So that is a form of grooming. You are now putting the words in that child's mouth. And children, they respect authority. Now, many people think that children don't respect authority. In many ways, they kind of don't. They're a little rebellious here and there. But the truth is, is that Children submit to adult authority. And so if you tell them to practice something, they're going to practice it. And so when you give children language, sex language to negotiate sexual activity, to negotiate the use of condoms, you are now helping them practice that. And more than likely, whatever they practice is what they're going to do. And so this one time we, uh, and this was a common exercise, and I'm sure it's still being used, is how to convince your partner to use a condom in in sex. And so there was no scenario where we would say, let's practice ways you can say no, or let's practice ways in which you can avoid sexual activity by doing these activities or avoiding this party or that part or whatever it may be. It was very much like, okay, you're probably going to have sex. Now you have to go ahead and negotiate how to use condoms. And they were to come up with and, and to make it fun and exciting and sexy because we yes. know we, we told them people aren't going to want to use condoms because sometimes guys say it doesn't feel good. And so you have to convince them that it's going to be good. And so we literally were teaching teenagers how to make it really sexy and fun yeah to use condoms into it and to uh, convince their partners that it'll be very pleasurable and very good and very positive. And then, of course, teaching the girls how to put the condoms on themselves so that they were in control of doing that. All of that was grooming uh, and it was very graphic. And so if you can just imagine middle schoolers saying sexy things to someone or each other on how to convince them. To you, I mean, basically. So I don't use the words. I'll just say we taught them how to eroticize the use of condoms and to become erotic people. And so now imagine what you're talking about. We uh, had peer educators back then as well in the 90s. Um, imagine children eroticizing sex to other children. Imagine how depraved that is. But that's what get real. Teen is it's children who have been groomed to be sexually active and eroticized sex and negotiations of sex and the negotiation of using condoms now teaching other children to do the same thing. And that is just depraved. Um now one thing that you mentioned that I think is important for parents to know as a solution. What's the solution to this? (laughs) Like where's the hope at the end of the interview? Well, number one. We talked about some things that I think politically you need to be aware of mom and dad. There are federal mandates, there are state mandates, and there are local mandates for sex education. Get involved with one of your informed parent groups in your state. If you're in Massachusetts, you want to go to the Facebook page here for Massachusetts Informed Parents and get connected with Mary. And then she can, you know, get you connected with other organizations if you need it or other resources. Um, You need to get engaged, you need to, um, you know, go, go to my website or listen to one of my podcasts where I talked about different resources and tools that you can use so that you can learn more about how to find out what is going on in your school. Get involved with your legislators. Um, get involved with your school board. Start running. Bec- get into leadership positions so that you are making these decisions with other conservative parents to to uh, care for your children. And I hate to say it, but if your school is completely overrun and indoctrinated, it may be at the point where you have to start discussing and finding ways to pull your children out of the school, because this is why I'm saying this. It is happening every day in every classroom and down every hall with posters, all kinds of things. And your children are in a war zone constantly. And so this is why parents need to start leading this conversation. So you can help your kids navigate that. And you can go to it takes a to learn more about that shoot me an email at Monica at it takes and I can help you as well. But one of the things that I wanted to mention that you can do today, mom and dad is start praying and thinking about ways that you can have that you can speak to your teen about purpose. Every teenager wants purpose in their lives. Every teenager, and I want to say that every human wants to know that they are important, that they can do something important in the world, that they are part of something that is that is improving people. I mean, they really do want to be part of something significant. And let me tell you, Planned Parenthood, Sicus, all this all these different ideologies that we're talking about, They're honing in to your kid's need for a greater purpose. And this is why our children, not only are they moldable, but this is why they're so attracted to those movements, because they give them purpose. They take the time to teach them these things and then say, you can even teach them. How amazing is that? I have so much confidence in you that you can be a peer educator. You're not even out of school. Isn't that amazing? And it gives them this great sense of purpose to be part of something bigger. Mom and dad, you need to take the time to instill purpose in your children, to, do, to, to to let them know, I believe in you to be able to do this. Let's find things that we can do, you know, and, and just instill in them this sense of that they are important and that they are world changers within your family and that you're there supporting them. Because if you don't do that, these ideologies in the world are going to do it for you and they are doing it. And uh, so and it's not hard to do, guys. it's it's really not. It's start looking at your kids through uh, again, I'm a Christian. so I'm like, start looking at them through through the eyes of God. how what are those unique things about your kids that are different from you? Uh, they don't have to be like us. They, they can, uh, you know, just start identifying their gifts and the things that make them excited about life and tune into that. And that is also going to build your relationship with your children. But they're going to want to come to you and not that stranger at the school. But Mary, thank you for for being with us today. We've just got like a few minutes to end the show. Um, Mary, why don't you let people know how they can get a hold of you if they have more questions about issues happening in Massachusetts?
1: Sure. So you can shoot me an email at massinformedparents at gmail.com. That's massinformedparents at gmail.com. You can also uh, visit my Facebook group, Massachusetts Informed Parents. I do a lot of research on the issue of comprehensive sexuality education and things like social emotional learning um, and other education related um, topics. So go ahead and visit us there on Mass Informed Parents. You can request to become a member and I try to post new content there every week. Um, So that's just a really great way to um, get informed. I I really recommend that people check out also Family Watch International is another really wonderful organization that does a lot on this issue, both here in the United States and internationally on um, the um, sex ed that's happening, that's being pushed, not only here in our country, but unfortunately at the UN and other countries as well. Um, So they have a lot of wonderful resources on their website. Um, Also the Protect Child Health Coalition, which works in coordination with Family Watch International is another great organization where you can get a lot of good information. Um, Of course, uh, Monica's website is really a great place to, just to, um, you know what I love, about what you're doing Monica is you're calling parents back to their children. So, you know, all of us as parents, we love our children, we're committed to them, but we have a lot of demands on our life. Like we're we're trying to put food on the table, where uh, many of us are working and and there's just a lot of demands. And sometimes we can get distracted and kind of just start running on autopilot. But um so if, if there's anything that I want parents to kind of take away from this this Ah, uh, podcast today is to really do some soul searching and to you know think about um, you know am I fully engaged with my kids? Am I fully present with them? What are the areas where maybe I need to talk to them more about? It? And I agree with you one hundred percent, Monica. That parents are the best educators for their children when it comes to sex ed, and they are the primary educators of their children and so i would just um i I affirm what you said monica that we we have to kind of take back the reins right we've just we've um we've let the school kind of take over in so many ways we've let like the quote unquote experts take over in so many ways but really god has uniquely qualified us as parents to be educators of our children, so don't let the school tell you that they know better for your kid, for your child. It's just not true. You know what's best, and so um, I would just encourage parents to to um, you know, turn their um, heart toward their children and to just really um, pay attention to what's going on and the messages that they're receiving and inoculate them at home with the truth so that they will know how to um, identify falsehood or things, harmful messages when they are out at school or, or just you know interacting with their friends. So um, just by way of general encouragement, but Monica, did you have a question? I was going to just recommend some things they can do locally. Yeah, no, go ahead. Okay, so uh, also locally, um, I really think that it's important to pay attention to what's happening locally. Um, We absolutely have to pay attention to what's happening on a state level because more and more states are starting to introduce these sex ed mandates, which takes local control away from school districts and gives it to bureaucrats, unelected bureaucrats in the departments of education in states. And so we don't want that. We want uh, families to be able to make decisions very close to home, Um, in their own school district. And so um, keep an eye, find out what's happening in your state in regard to this issue, but really get involved locally. And the school board, attending the school board meetings is a really good place to start. Um, Getting to know your school officials, asking the right questions, ask them what is being taught in sex ed. Um, and, And don't just, if they send back to you an outline, Say, no, I really would like to, I would like to know the title, edition, publisher for all books, videos, pamphlets, and web-based materials that are being used to teach human sexual, human sexuality. So you have to really ask very um, comprehensive questions, if you will, because they know how to answer just kind of a basic question and to hide information. I see it all the time in Massachusetts with um, emails that get forwarded to me from parents and the school officials, they they try to hide things from parents. So um, you have to ask the questions in the right way. And you can find these documents in my Facebook group. If you um, visit my Facebook group in the file section, you'll be able to see I have a sample email request for sex ed resources and curriculum that you can just take and use and send to your school district. I also have an action items list that you can find in the file section. So there are things there, like immediate action items that you can take just to learn more about how to learn more about what's going on in your school district, but even just local action items that you can take. I I really recommend parents forming little mini Massachusetts informed parents groups all over the state. I'm starting to see that happen now where parents are just part, like-minded parents are partnering together in school districts and working together to address issues in their school district. And not just sex ed, they're, they're starting to address a broad range of issues, which is wonderful. So um, anything that you can do to get informed and to get active, I highly encourage parents. um, But You know, I guess in conclusion, I would say, Monica, um, to just encourage parents to um, pay attention to your child's heart because that's exactly what Planned Parenthood and their uh, allies are doing. They're not only after your child's mind, they're after your child's heart. And they do this by trying to establish relationship with them and mentoring relationships and teaching the educators how to do that as well. And so you want to be that primary relationship in your child's life because you, um, you know your child best and you know what's best for your child and you love them. And so um, whatever I can do to help you in that regard, and I know that's what Monica's heart is too, I'm happy to be a resource. Thank
0: you, Mary. Yes, that that is exactly what we need as parent leaders. And our children are waiting for us to lead. There is, you know, I always say that, Many parents think, oh, my kids don't want to listen to me or they don't want to hear me talking about these topics and or they roll their eyes at me. And I always say, embrace the eye roll. Uh, You're doing the right thing when you're talking about these things. If you don't feel equipped to speak on these things, that's when uh, it takes a family can come in Um, and then definitely use those resources that Mary is talking about on her Facebook page to help you know how to navigate in the school. And uh, to ensure that your parental rights are not being infringed upon. But it's so important that we have this close relationship with our children. And the truth is, is that we are in the perfect position to be the greatest influencers in our children's lives, because there is no one in this world that our children want more love and acceptance from or leadership from than their own mother and father. It is just ingrained in them that they want mom mom and dad speaking into their lives, protecting them, loving them, setting boundaries and teaching them. Uh, There is no one else in this earth that can replace you in their hearts. And so if you have, if you're feeling like, well, I haven't been doing it, you can start today little by little. And it just takes, uh, you know, I always say to parents, what are the things that make you feel special? You want to be seen, you want people to understand you, you want people to listen to you, even if they don't understand your position, you want to be listened to. Those are the things that your children want to, they want to be seen by you, not just being told, do this, or don't do that, and hurry up. They want you to see them and you just do those little things of caring for their hearts and truly seeing your child and they will be coming to you every time they hear something in the world. They're going to come home and they're going to say, I heard this today and as long as you give them them that time and attention to listen and discuss it with them they will continue to do that and you can protect your children it's so important it's time to reclaim parenthood so Mary thank you so much for being on the show for um, teaching our parents more about social emotional learning there's so much more to learn about it and so this won't be the last time that we'll be talking about it on this show but thank you for all of your work that you're doing in Massachusetts And also know, Mary, that the work you do in Massachusetts is not just in Massachusetts, but when we hear what you're doing, it really undergirds and helps people in other states as well. And so thank you so much for your work. And thanks for being on our show.
1: Well, thank you so much, Monica, for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I always leave our times together feeling very inspired and, um, recommitted to the work that I'm doing. So it's, it's just always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for, for everything that you are doing to support and encourage parents.
0: Well, thank you and have a blessed day, everyone. Bye-bye.